Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode number 226 of the Chris Rose Rotation, a production of John Boy Media. And it's time right now to take a venture through spring training and check in on the home of the defending National League champion, Arizona Diamondbacks. Merrill Kelly, doesn't that sound great? It does. That's why I was shaking my head right there. Uh, every time I hear it, it, it doesn't get old. Okay, let's start with the spring training hats, because I have to admit, like the BP ones, kind of dig them. So what, what do you think? Yeah, when I first heard we were going teal, uh, I was a little skeptical, but they're they're definitely growing on me. I think New Era was just trying to go, it seems like New Era was just trying to go as loud as they possibly could, and they definitely accomplished that, but um, they're growing on me. I'm interested to see the BP hats. I hear they're like teal with a black, uh, black bill or something like that. Okay, so what do we wear in spring training games? Is that the one, or is there a different one? No, this is, I think, what we're wearing in spring training games, and I think once we get to the season, I think we get different uh, BP hats. Okay. Good. Well, since you are quite the fashionista, I did a little homework and I heard that you were a huge sneakerhead, just like one of our regulars here on the Rose Rotation, Miguel Rojas. How many pair of Jordans do you have? Yeah, fashionista, I think might be a stretch, but okay. sneakerhead, uh, sneakerhead, I'll accept. Um, pair of jo just Jordans. I need to count. We actually just moved into my new house. I, I need to count them up, but I think probably I would estimate. I don't know, probably around ninety to a hundred. Do you have Something a like, do you have a gold standard there? Which which pair is the one? Um, I have a pair of Korean threes that I actually wore today. Um, they only released in Korea, and I just happened to be over there. Uh, I had my translator. I had my they they released on a raffle, so I had my translator, my teammates, my coaches, all their friends trying to get them, um, and my pitching coach actually hit on them. Uh, his agent got them for him, and he actually ended up giving them to me as a gift. Whoa! Uh, but as far as Jordans go, I think they're probably, I think they're probably the most, maybe the most valuable ones I have as far as like resale market. So what do we like? I'm just not good in this area. I just started a, my own collection. If you could say three or four pair qualifies as a collection, what does a pair of those go for? Um, I can pull them up right now if you want me yes. to real quick. Yes, let's do it. Um, all right. They've come down a little bit. So the last sale, uh, last sale for a size 12, which is what I wear is 2154. Okay. But you're not getting rid of these anytime soon. When they yeah, look like they that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. You're, you're not getting rid of these. Like you, you want to hang no. on to them, right? Yeah. And I'm, I'm the type of, uh, sneaker collector that I wear all my shoes. Nice. I don't have, I don't have any that I haven't worn before. I'll obviously pick and choose my spots on, where I wear certain pairs that I know they'll be safe. Like I usually wear those pretty much just into the field and I wear them home. Um, but there's not one pair on my shelf that I haven't at least put on my feet at some point. All right. So we're packing for a uh, three city, 10 day road trip. We're going Colorado, Atlanta, Miami. How many okay. pair are we taking? Um, so I have like a little travel duffel bag. That's just for shoes. That probably piss that probably pissed the clubhouse guys off because it's just another bag that they have to carry around. Um, that one holds four pairs itself, and then I'll usually have whatever pair if we're wearing you know nice clothes on the plane. Then I'll have a nicer pair of shoes on if we're wearing our jumpsuits on the plane. Then I'll have another pair of sneakers on. So it's usually it's usually around five pairs for really any road trip. If we're going on a three day, if we're going on a one city three day, it'll probably just be a couple just to get me by. But if we're going on extended, it's at least probably five pairs. See, my wife just got me a pair of these for my my birthday. So I haven't I'm gonna bust them out next week at the NFL Scouting Combine. Okay. So um I mean they're you know, 
They're nice. Yeah, they play. I like them. Okay. I'm a big fan. Of, ones are my some of my favorites. It's ones, ones, threes, fours, and elevens for me are kind of my go-to. Okay. While we're here, I like the new jerseys of the Diamondbacks, but the uniform stuff has been the talk of camp. Do they really suck as much as everybody says? <laughs> Um, I think I'm trying to hold my judgment until I get in a game with them because I, I'm a big sweater. Um, I sweat a lot, so I'm, I'm going to see how they hold up with, with sweat going to see if they judge. I don't, so far, I don't mind them. The material I think is definitely getting used to. It's a little lighter. It's a little more, uh, mesh material than the old jerseys. I think the mesh holes are a little bit bigger. So I think that maybe would be, might be pissing everybody off. Um, but so far I don't mind them. The pants are okay. I'll say, okay, but it's tough. I mean, it's tough going from majestic majestic did such a good job, especially Taylor and everybody exactly to their specifications. So I think like anything we're creatures of habit. And I think change is kind of scary for some of us sometimes. Okay. I'm seeing all the photos cause everybody's got, you know, photo day this week, like they're back mm-hmm. in school and I can see through the pants. I, yeah. Yeah. So, so if, that you're sweater, if you're a sweater, if you're a sweater, we're going to have a major swamp ass problem. <laughs> yeah, that will, like I'm saying, so I'm holding my judgment until we get into the game so they can actually put them into the, I'll put them to the sweat test and then I'll give you a good answer after that. Okay. What so what happened? Yeah. Up there? Yeah. Shohei. I mean, you can see, we can see too much Shohei. You know what I mean? Hey, <laughs> too much show. Yeah. You can always see, you've always been able to see the Jersey lines. I feel like even with Majestic, you can kind of see the Jersey lines, but we'll see what happens when they start getting wet. So will you be, is it possible? You could be a pants changer guyer, like in inning three. Yeah, I sometimes already am. Not too many, no, not too many times with pants. It's usually just the jersey. Um, if we're in a hot place, you know, in the middle of summer in Arizona last year, I had some cramping issues and I was sweating like a dog. Um, if we're in a hot place, I'll switch my jersey probably after the. I might make it to the fourth before I have to switch it. Um, so I'm hoping the pants don't follow because that would kind of be a pain in the ass to have to do a whole jersey. And if I'm going pants, then that means I have to go what's underneath the pants too. So then I'm, I might as well just go into the fourth inning and take a shower and just get redressed again if that's the case. I was going to ask you that. Have you ever showered mid-start? No, no. And especially with the pitch clock, I don't think I got <laughs> near enough time for that now. Back in the old days, I might have a couple minutes for that, but I think with the pitch com or the pitch clock, I think I'd be screwed if I tried to hop in the shower. That'd be good. All right, I've got so much to talk to you about because your journey has been so amazing. It has not been linear to get to where you are now in your mid thirties in the show. So let's let's take you back, I guess, all the way. I mean, you are a local boy. You know, you have now come home. Did you grow up a Diamondbacks fan, or were you a fan of another team out there? Because it's not like Diamondbacks have this rich history. We're just talking about two and a half decades. Yeah, no, I actually, so we moved down to Arizona going into my freshman year of high school. So I moved down here when we were 14. Um, my journey before then, my all my roots are in Texas. Uh, my mom's from a place called Beaumont, right on the border of Louisiana and Texas. And my dad's from a place called Brownsville, which is about as far south, south as Texas you can get. It's right on the border. He used to walk across, he said, with his friends and uh, do all kinds of stuff and then just come home. Um, so I was born in Houston. I went from Houston to Austin, Austin to Philly, Philly to Chicago, and then finally Chicago down here to finally kind of put some roots down. Um, so growing up, I was always an Astros fan. Um, I wore number seven when I was younger for Craig Biggio, um, Nolan Ryan, all those guys. I was a huge Astros fan growing up. Um, so no, I didn't really pay attention to the D backs. And once we got here in high school, I didn't really. 
my care level for a lot of things um, wasn't really too high. Um, so I didn't really focus too much on professional sports. I've always been a big basketball guy. I still followed the Bulls when we first moved down here. Um, but as far as the D-backs go, I didn't really pay too much attention to them until they really until I picked up the phone and said, hey, we want to make a deal. Rumor has it that if you could have your choice, you would rather be an NBA player than a baseball player. Is that accurate? Yeah, that's a hundred percent accurate. But so I don't really have the uh, I don't really have the um, body type or jumping ability to to cut it in the NBA. I'm about six foot tall, can't dunk. So I, I think my NBA or my basketball dream career would have ended pretty quickly, and then who knows what I would have been doing now. So when we're uh, when we're playing pickup there, out of the Diamondbacks facility, and we're watching you hoop. Whose game are we like? Oh wow! Like Merrill Kelly's got a little of this in him. Um, I mean, I guess pick your point guard of choice. I guess that's what I when I grew up. That's what I was. I was a point guard. I could dribble a little bit. Um, I could kind of. I was kind of the driving dish guy. I uh, wasn't really banging the boards. Could shoot a little bit if I was open, but it was really kind of get people off the dribble and and kind of create some openings for somebody to shoot a three or somebody cut into the hoop. So I would. I would like to say Jason Williams, but that's a giant, 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 giant stretch. What I wanted to be like, I guess I'll say, is is to be like Jason Williams. That's kind of okay, like white chocolate. Yeah, it's kind of one of the guys I watched back in the day. All right, I like. And obviously, that. Allen Iverson and all those guys were, um, and Jordan. That's kind of how I started liking shoes. When we lived in Chicago, I got to watch them play live. Um, so that's kind of where the the love of of Jordan and basketball kind of really set in. Got it. Did I hear that your dad used to work in the Four Seasons, like uh, worked his way through that and was a GM of the Ritz? Yeah, so that's why we moved around so much. Oh. It wasn't – a lot of people ask me if it was military, um, but no, it was uh, it was hotels. Yeah, it was the opposite of, of the military. Um, I always joke I, I grew up eating creme brulee and, and eggs benedict. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because whenever we'd move around, um, he was a GM for them for probably, I mean, pretty much my whole childhood, pretty, almost like he's probably with them for almost 20 years, worked his way up from a, a bellman um, and then ended up being a GM for them for a long time. Um, so whenever we moved to a new city, that's where we would stay until we'd usually remodel the house. And that's kind of where we would stay. We'd post up shop in the in the four seasons until we moved into our house. That's a rough go, man. Those are some first world problems right there. <laughs> kidding me? I mean... You must be the biggest hotel snob in the show. Um, I try not to be, you know. It's but, okay though. I would be. Are you kidding me? If my if yeah, my old I man mean, worked in that, I definitely enjoy when we do go to the Four Seasons. I mean, the Ritz. So the Ritz in Chicago uh, used to be a Four Seasons property, and that was the one that he ran when we moved to Chicago. So it's cool being able to go back there and we stay at the same hotel. It's been completely remodeled since we left there. Uh, but my dad still has some connections there, so I've I've been able to meet some people and, and kind of share some stories of, of him back in the day. Um, so it's always reminiscent when we go to that place. And I get to kind of picture myself, um, you know, growing up and then waking up there and then my mom driving us all the way to school and then coming back at the end of the night to the city. Did you ever do any stupid kid shit like in, a, in a, one of those hotels and just run around and you had to have done something. Uh, I'm sure I did. My my dad definitely made it a point to to drive um, manners and etiquette into us because obviously he wasn't about to have his kids being the ones <laughs> running amok and causing havoc in his own hotel. Um, so he he put a, he kept us pretty strict, pretty strict leash on us when we were there. At least I'm sure at some point I was a kid and 
and thought of it as my uh, my giant, really expensive, nice playground at some point. But um, they did a good job of, of teaching us kind of how to act. It's okay. You know, I got manners too, but, you know, I, I found a little mischief back in the Rose teen days. It's okay to live a little. Yeah, that was uh, that was the mischief part kind of kicked in when we got to high school. And that was kind of where he phased. Uh, he was the the GM down here at Pinnacle Peak. Um, and then that was kind of towards the later stage of his career. So we didn't really get to use it when I, you know, really kind of entered the little delinquent phase of, of high school and teenage years. Oh, man. Delin- what do we have? Uh, are some of the <laughs> envelopes sealed on this? Merrill yeah, Kelly? Yeah. We don't need to dive down. We don't need to dive into that past. <laughs> we can leave that one behind. That'll be for a future discussion. Okay, so yeah. give me give me one or two Ritzes around the country that if, if I'm going to those cities, that's where I definitely have to stay. So he was the Four Seasons. The Ritz in Chicago just happened to be a Four Seasons property. Oh, okay. Got um, it. All right. So it's really Four Seasons. Um the one in Minnesota is really nice. I like the one in Minnesota. I like the one in Houston. Um, the property out in Texas when we play the Rangers used to be a Four Seasons. It's not a, anymore, but that place is pretty cool. We always enjoy getting an off day down there because they have a golf course and a pool, and it's a good day for the boys. Um, uh, obviously, the Ritz in Chicago is super nice, especially because they remodeled it. Um, and what I hear, I haven't been to it yet, but I hear the new one that they just built in Philly um, is really, really good as well. Okay, good. I'll put them all on my list. Yeah. Try and, I'll try and get a group on, maybe a little discount. <laughs> <laughs> get in on the action with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. New customers who deposit a $5 or more can get a no-sweat bet up to $1,000 back in bonus bets. Download DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code ROSE and new customers can get a no-sweat bet up to $1,000 if your first bet loses. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with promo code ROSE. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.com. Org. Please play responsibly on behalf of the Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. One no sweat bet per new customer issued as one bonus bet based on amount of initial losing bet. Bonus bets expire 160 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash promos for deposit wagering and eligibility restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Now back to the show. We, we know about your journey about going from Arizona State, getting drafted, being in the Rays organization, having a really good AAA year, not getting your call, not being put out there for the Rule 5, having to go over to Korea in order to make your way as as eventually to a big leaguer. Were you scared when you went over there? Oh, scared? I don't know if scared is the word. Um, you know, definitely anxious for multiple reasons. One, just because I was leaving, you know, quote unquote, affiliated ball. Um, So I feel like anytime you really do that, the big leagues feels that much further away, regardless of where you're going, whether it be indie ball or Japan or Korea or Mexico or any of the alternatives. Um, And just anxious about what I was about to encounter. I didn't know. I knew nothing about Korea when I first signed up to go over there. I didn't know until until my teammate came and asked me for my agent's number because there was a Korean scout there, I didn't even know they had a KBO. I didn't know the KBO existed. 
Um, I knew Japan was a thing. I knew guys had been going over to Japan for a long time, but I had no clue that people went to Korea to play baseball. Um, so I think those two biggest things were the most, um, you know, anxious invoking things, getting used to the culture and the language and the food and being so far away from my family and, and the 16 hour time change. Um, you know, I had a girlfriend at the time and she's now my wife. Um, you know, dealing with all that stuff was probably the biggest hurdles to get through. Um, but once I got over there and realized, uh, as a culture, you know, how accepting they are, or at least were of me and how much they loved baseball, um, and how we were treated over there, it became very clear to me that I had no reason to be scared or anxious about being there. It was, uh, at that point in my career, was there until it wasn't. I remember my agent telling me that when I went over there, it's like, at first I wanted to go over just to get out of Tampa, right? I was fed up with Tampa. You didn't give me a shot after I just proved myself, at least in, you know, back then it was in AAA. I know, I know better now. Um, but I wanted to get out of Tampa and then see what I got. I was planning on being there for maybe one or two years just to sign a minor league deal with somebody else. And then, you know, four years later, I was, just trying to make as much money over there as I could. Um, and I remember my agent telling me when I went over there, he said, look, your career is now in Asia until it's not. Um, so once I got that, once I got past that thought and once I kind of got used to the, the culture and everything that I spoke on, um, it became a lot of fun. It was, it was my home. Those guys were my family for four years. I mean, I saw my teammates over there. I know we talk about doing the same thing here, but you know, I legitimately saw my teammates for eight months out of the year and saw my family for, you know, three. So um, I really, really enjoyed being over there, though. You know, on a lot of the podcasts we do here on John Boy, I do a daily one with Trevor Ploop, and we talk about guys who come to the States, whether they're from Cuba, the Dominican, Venezuela, you know, they get dropped off here in the States sometimes as a young, young kid. And we as Americans have so many expectations, like they should adjust to the culture they should be fine they should, right the whole bit but you have firsthand experience living through this um what was the biggest challenge over there for you right obviously the the communication part is obviously the low-hanging fruit um you know when i first got drafted into pro ball you know it came from a came from asu big time program. Um, and then got into pro ball in that first spring training, there's all kinds of different people, right? There's Venezuelans and Dominicans and Cubans and, uh, Puerto Ricans and all kinds of different languages being spoken. Um, and at the time, you know, as a kid, I didn't really understand why it is that some of them would kind of keep to themselves and only speak Spanish to the people who spoke Spanish. And when I went over to Korea, it, it really hit me, um, as to why, right? It's somebody comfortable. It's somebody that speaks your language. It's somebody that you can share, um, you know, experiences with based on where you're from and what you do. Uh, and I think that really drove home when I got there because anybody, any foreign player that wasn't Korean, whether it was a Latin guy or, or an American guy or Canadian guy, whoever it was, we would always do a good job of going over just to say what's up and, you know, just talk shop or at least be able to speak your own language. Um, so I think, one of the hardest parts over there is trying to adjust to being on, you know, somewhat of an Island, right? Um, you're the only guy that thinks the way you do. You're the only guy that thinks in the same language that you do. Um, you're not used, like I said, you're not used to the food. You're not used to the culture. You're not used to the customs. So trying to navigate those waters at first, um, I will say the team, at least the team that I was on did a really good job of giving me some good translators. 
those guys are your lifelines to make sure that you're not doing anything stupid or you're not saying anything stupid or, um, you know, what you can eat and what you can't. So getting through that was probably the hardest part, but once you get through that, it's pretty smooth sailing after that. The best, um, food that you had where you thought, Oh my God, I'm never going to put this in my mouth. And now you're like, God, do I miss that? Kimchi. Yeah. Easy. I tried it my first year and I was like, ah, I don't know. What is this like weird cabbage with some spicy sauce on it? I was like, I, I just shut it out. And then my second year I tried it and I love it. I'll eat it with anything I have. So I usually just keep some in my fridge, honestly, and just, I will just go pick at it from time to time now. When you, uh, you spent four years over there and then you get a call from your hometown team and you get offered a big league deal here. Um, when that happened, did you shed a little bit of a tear? Uh, at that moment, no. Um, but definitely after I signed the contract, um, I think we might have went to dinner or something um, and came home and it kind of hit me all at once because stuff was moving fast at that time. I, I, I'm pretty sure, I can't remember exactly, but I'm pretty sure I got the call that I was officially going to be a Diamondback. Like the deal was made. We just had to go through physicals on the, the morning of my wedding day. Um, yeah, so stuff was moving really fast there. So I think once we got home from the honeymoon and, and kind of settled back in and I knew the contract was signed and I knew I was going into spring training on a big league roster in a big league rotation. Um, I remember laying in bed one night um, and that's when it kind of hit me. And I just kind of looked at my wife. I was like, man, like, I mean, I still get, I still get chills and goosebumps just thinking about it. Um, But I remember looking at my wife and just kind of saying like, you know, we did it. Like we, we made it because she's been with me for, since college, since 2010. So she went through the minor leagues with me. She went through Korea. Um, so yeah, I remember looking at her that night and, and just thinking like, man, like we, we finally, we were finally here. Nothing like having, uh, your wife and a team doctor, uh, touch you on your wedding day. <laughs> so, there you go. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hopefully we could, hopefully we could push the physical yeah, back just a little just bit. Hopefully not at the same time, you know? <laughs> your words not mine um so you get there and is this true that in 2019 when you were struggling that tory pulled you into the office tory lavello your manager Mm -hmm. and said hey right now you are the worst pitcher in the national league let's get your shit together because i want you to be the guy every five days is that accurate yeah i was in milwaukee that was the the last game of i think a nine straight game after the after the wild card or after the all-star break I don't think I made it. Like if I made it to the fifth through that stretch, it was a good day. So it was just start after start after start, just beating a head, beat my head against the wall. Um, and it wasn't just Tory. It was Tory. It was some of the front office. It was Mike Butcher, the pitching coach, uh, Mike Fetters, our bullpen coach. It was pretty much everybody. Yeah. Basically they told me since the all-star break, I think it was even the worst. I think the quote was the worst statistical starting pitcher in the big leagues since the all-star break of like a nine game stretch. Um, and they basically said, yeah, get your, get your shit together or you're going to the bullpen essentially. Um, and that was definitely a hard pill to swallow. Cause that was one of the reasons I went to Korea. Um, I was a swingman with Tampa, hated the bullpen, hated that role. Didn't ever want to go back to doing that. Um, so when that happened, it was definitely a little bit of a gut punch. Um, you know, but I, I think it was probably for the best. It kind of put my back up against the wall and kind of forced me to, get through the 
um, you know, kind of the roadblocks that I was kind of putting up for myself in the big leagues. I think at that time I was still kind of putting people on a pedestal. I mean, even as a 30 year old, you know, it's something that we dream since we were five years old. And, and I think I was still viewing the big leagues and viewing big league hitters as maybe more than what they were. Um, and I think that kind of forced me to snap out of it and just say, you know, screw it. I, I got to get these guys out or it's not going to end well. So hit the fast forward button to all of your success. Uh-oh. Hey, hey now. Uh-oh. I think it's on a motion. There we go. Oh, there you go. Nice. There you go. Yeah. Um, hit the fast forward button to all of the success you had last season and in particular in the month of October. And you end up winning game two of the World Series. Was there a moment for you just by yourself where you were like, damn, man, I'm proud of myself? Yeah, I mean, just you asking me that question right now makes the makes the hair stand up on the back of my neck. Um, yeah, I mean, I think there were there were multiple times throughout that throughout the playoff run that those thoughts came into my mind. Um, you know, it's something that I had envisioned for four straight years in Korea. Right, I would sit because the time changed. All the big league games were pretty much right when I woke up, so I'd be having kind of my morning coffee, and I would check in on you know, my, my friends or my guys that I had in the big leagues and I would see how they were doing. And then I would see, I would look at the teams that I thought I might've had a chance to go to and, you know, play GM and the whole thing. Um, yeah. So throughout the playoff run, there was definitely more than one time where I, I forced myself to kind of, cause things move fast. That's the fastest baseball life's ever moved for me for sure. Um, but I definitely forced myself a couple of times throughout the playoffs, not only the world series, but just the playoffs in general to kind of just soak it in and then, you know, cause you never know when you're going to be back. Um, took me 15 years to get there. Um, so there were multiple moments where it was like kind of the, Oh shit moment. Like before game, before game two, the night before game two, I think was one of the big ones. Like, man, I was in Korea four years ago and I'm literally about to start game two of the world series. Like what a whirlwind of, of a trip. Um, so it kind of flashed, kind of flashback took me through, you know, getting drafted in my days with Tampa and signing that first contract in Korea and then signing my first contract in, in Arizona. Um, and like I said, just let, put my head on the pillow that night. It was like, Oh shit. Like I'm literally about to start a world series again. I, um, I love that. I think that one thing the pandemic did Merrill was allow us to appreciate moments like, okay, so you didn't win the world series but shit look at your journey and it's okay to say even if maybe you didn't get to the top 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 of the mountain in terms of getting the bigger ring like that this is a hell of an accomplishment that you have had isn't it okay to say that yeah i think so i mean this is a it's a hard game and it's a even tougher league you know i mean there's I'm sure you've interviewed plenty of guys i mean they play in the big leagues for 10 12 15 years and they never make it that far you know, there's guys that would would kill to to be able to say they even at least step foot on a World Series mound, much less, you know, pitch well on one. Um, and I think going into last season, I think with the expectations for us, you know, the fact that we we knew we were a good team, but obviously where we ended up was, I think, kind of surprised everybody, not just the fans, but I think a lot of people within the organization. But I think that was one of the fun things about it. Right. Like we were playing and I think that's one of the reasons why we did so well. It's like we were just playing. There was no tomorrow. We were, you know, in everyone else's eyes, we were lucky to be there. So 
if we it's kind of a win-win situation if we lose then everybody kind of expected us to lose and if we win then you know we kind of shock the world type thing i want to take you back to the nlcs um you guys won game five in arizona force a series back to philly so we got the off day um starting pitcher you always meet with the media and here you are uh right before game six i haven't obviously heard this place on the field um, but I'd be very surprised if it if it trumped that Venezuela game um, down in Miami. So you stuck your head into the mouth of the lion. Uh, what was it louder? Uh, yeah, I think that I think that quote unfortunately got taken way out of context. Um, I think the Philly, obviously, the Philly media just took that snippet and and ran with it as much as they could, um, which was. You know, it was whatever. It kind of made the games a little bit more fun, but it also unfortunate because it just kind of painted a, a different picture of what I was, what question I was answering there. Uh, but it, whatever it did, it definitely stoked the bear. It definitely poked the the big bear of of the bank. Um, I don't know if it was louder, to be honest with you. I mean, like I said, when Trey Turner hit that grand slam, I don't think I'll. I'd be hard pressed to find a situation that in a baseball game that's loud, that purely just volume wise is louder than that. Um, and that's kind of what I was getting at. It, it wasn't ever a knock on the Phillies fans. It wasn't ever like this place is quiet. Um, but it, you know, it, it, they did what they needed to do. They just in true fans, they took any, any little crumb that they could and ran with it. Um, but I do, I mean, I, I, and I, I said it the whole series. I mean, I hand it to the Phillies fans. That place is different, man. Like that place is, it feels like you're going to war, especially in a, a playoff setting like that. Um, some of those games, honestly, in Philly almost felt more like the world series than some of the world series games did. Um, and that's because of that. I mean, those guys are in the game yelling at you from pitch one to pitch 500 or however many thrown in the game. And, and I think that's what makes that place different. Um, you know, there's a lot of stadiums that there's a lot of buzz in the first couple innings and then it kind of dies down around the, you know, third to the fifth, sixth or whatever, and then it picks back up. I mean, and those guys are diehard. They're standing up the entire game. They're loud the entire game. Um, and I think that's partly of what made those games so fun. You know, it, it became more than just us playing the Phillies. It became us playing the whole city. And I think that's kind of what... Um, you know, made those games a little bit more uh, intriguing, not only for us, but definitely for or for the, uh, you know, baseball fan base. Did your four-letter vocabulary improve during your <laughs> bullpen warm-up before game six? Yeah, there was uh, – that was definitely the most I've been yelled at in, in a concentrated session right there for sure. Um, it wasn't really too bad. Somebody said my daughter's name one or two times, um, which it almost made me turn around. But um, other than that, you know, it was – they're good. Like I said, they're they're diehard fans, and, you know, Philly has a reputation of being, you know, kind of tough and, and gritty. So they definitely embrace that as much as they can. Uh, one thing I love what your team did in the offseason is seemingly improve, right? You added Erod to your rotation. Uh, you go pick up Eugenio Suarez, one of the really good guys, and it's still a good power bat at third base. Um, made some other moves. So I like it that that your ownership came out and said, hey, listen, we're not going to stand pat. Like 84 wins and eking into the playoffs isn't our mission just because we went on a great run. I love mm -hmm. that. I think it's mm -hmm. great. You guys will never be talked about as much as another team in your division when they're spending $1.2 billion. Do you like that? Because you have always played with a chip on your shoulder. Yeah, I don't mind it. Um 
me personally, I'm, I'm kind of a guy I like to say kind of under the radar in general. Um, so if, you know, if, if guys don't want to give us the credit that, you know, that maybe, you know, a lot of the guys in the locker room think we deserve, I think we're fine with that. Um, you know, Arizona in general um, has, is always kind of, uh, you know, kind of hit or miss when it comes to, you know, big time fan, uh, I guess, big time fandom that, you know, like, like the Dodgers have, or some of the old historic, um, you know, organizations like the, like the Red Sox and the Yankees and all that type of stuff. There's, a lot of people in Arizona are, are just like myself or from other places. Right. So they grew up a Cubs fan, like their dad, or they grew up, uh, you know, wherever they came from, um, you know, Rangers fan or, or somewhere in Cali. Um, but I think, I think that's what adds to our clubhouses. I think our, we don't really give that stuff too much attention. We don't really give that noise too much attention, good or bad. You know, like I said, coming into this year, even coming off the world series run, um, I haven't really noticed, at least not yet. I haven't really noticed any type of of energy walking around like we did something. Um, I think it's more of let's focus on this year and, and kind of go after what you just kind of talked about. The rest of kind of the the Goliaths, um, you know, that most they get kind of most of the most of the attention. By the way, is there any question that the Diamondbacks saved some serious money when they gave Corbin Carroll a hundred million out of the gate? Yeah, I don't think there's any question that I think he's proven that he's worth way, way, way more than that. Um, I just did an interview with Ken Rosenthal and he kind of asked me about him um, and I joke about him and, and kind of Gabby Moreno at the same time. Um, you know, I just turned 35 and when I'm 50 on the couch in 15 years, I'm going to be watching both those guys still being still playing in the big leagues. Um, but Corbin, I mean, he's he's beyond his age. He doesn't act 23. He doesn't think 23. Um, you know, he's got bigger things on his mind. He wants to be really good in this league for a long, long time. Um, and his work throughout the day definitely reflects that. By the way, when you're 50, you're not going to be on the couch, bro. You're going to be taking your final tour back in Korea. <sighs> I don't know about that. We'll see about that. I'm trying to get back over there right now. Um, uh, we might have a situation to go over there next year. Um, Scott McGuff's translator is getting married in Japan. And then my translator is getting married that next, uh, that next weekend. So we're kind of tossing around the idea of, of maybe doing a little tour at that point, but we'll see. Uh, we'll see if that works out. So you haven't been back since you left? No, I haven't been back since I left. Just with, there's been a lot of moving parts, obviously having the, having my daughter yeah. changes a lot of things. So um, I definitely want to go back. I, I miss a lot of the guys over there. I still keep in touch with a good amount of people over there. Um, I would just love to kind of see how things have changed and how they've progressed as far as the league. Um, Cause even when I first got there, the league was way different. It was it was the guy like me, right? It was the 35 year old that maybe has had a cup of coffee in the big leagues and, you know, they're kind of towards the end of the career and they want to make, you know, some extra money before they hang it up. And that's where they went. They would go to Korea. Um, and they, even after I left or right when I left, it was slowly transitioning. The competition was getting better. Um, the foreign guys that are, were coming over were, um, you know, more necessarily in their prime, um, a lot younger because I was 26 when I went over there. I think I was the youngest guy um, at the time. I think I was the youngest guy ever to go over there. Um, but now that's definitely not uncommon, which is cool to see. Um, but I would love to go. I know there's some new stadiums that have been built. Um, uh, my team has since been sold. And I think they're planning on some crazy um, entertainment district slash field built into a mall type thing. Um, so I'd love to go see kind of how the league and, and all the guys have progressed since then. All right, I got two more things, and I'm going to let you run. 
Okay. Uh, one is he's not your teammate, but it was big talk around baseball or the comments by Anthony Rendon where he said that, hey, listen, this is what I do for a job. It's not my top priority. My family, my faith are my top priorities. I think what he was trying to say got got mixed in with a little bit of who he is and hasn't played a lot of baseball and kind of whatever. We know what his reputation is. Can you understand what he was trying to get at? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, I, I think go, in this game, I, you know, I've been around it a long time now. Um, and there are guys that treat it like that. You know, there, there's that's what the beauty of baseball is. There's When you walk into a locker room, the spectrum of people and personalities and ideals and values and all of that are on such a range of a spectrum, right? There's people that love baseball, the, the game of it, the ins and outs, the strategy of it, the pitcher, hitter, battle, the scattering reports, all of that. Anything that goes into baseball, you know, they dive straight into it and they love it. Um, and then there's also guys on the other end of the spectrum that don't necessarily love the game but they're really good at it and they can make a lot of money and they can support their family and they can do what it is that they really enjoy doing through this vehicle. That is, you know, like he said, like his job. Um, so I definitely understand where he's coming from. Um, you know, who he is as a person, I've never met him. I've never been around him. So I can't really speak on, you know, what that means for him. Um, but I definitely don't think that people need to, you know, look too far into that. I mean, when he does play, he's extremely productive. You know, obviously the skills and and the bat to ball and the defense is there when he does play. Um, but I definitely understand what he's saying there. I've He's not the only person. If I'll say it this way, he, if fans think he's the only guy that views baseball that way, I think they'd be very mistaken. Um, what we do is a lot of fun, but it's also a grind. You know, we're away from our families for most of the year, we're traveling, living out of suitcases, going from city to city, flight and flight, um, you know, getting into hotels at three o'clock in the morning and waking up and doing the whole thing over again. So um, I can definitely see where he's coming from because I, I've met people that that view baseball, you know, more of a job rather rather than a passion. You know, and a lot of people use baseball as a job to fuel their passion, whatever it is off the field, whether it's whether they're hunters or fishermen or they golf or um, they run businesses outside of baseball. You know, a lot of guys will use the vehicle of baseball to kind of support that. Um, I don't think that means he doesn't care about baseball. I don't think he'd be doing it as long as he's been doing it. If you don't care a little bit about baseball, you have to, I would imagine you like it at least enough to, to be around as long as he has. But, um, yeah, I don't think it's, um, that uncommon that guys that some guys in this league view it as, as a, as a job first and foremost. Appreciate your perspective on that. That's really good. Finally, I, I want to end it kind of a high note here. One of your college teammates, I believe, was Drew Maggi, correct? That's correct. His, I mean, his journey makes yours look like you were the first pick of the draft. Yeah, he seems like he's he seems like mine's a piece of cake, right? So yeah. when he, I, this was last year, I believe, unless my yeah. brain is playing tricks on me again. Yeah, For people that don't remember, he was a 13-year minor leaguer before he got the call to the show from the Pirates. Did you make sure to like stop what you were doing? And maybe you were playing at the same time, so you couldn't exactly tune in. But just to make sure you at least saw the clips of him making his debut and then getting his first knock and all that sort of stuff. 
Yeah, I can't remember if I got to watch it live, but I definitely made it a point when I saw him get called up and I knew he was going to be in the game. Yeah, just watching that watching that highlight right now is awesome. Just the dugout going crazy for him. Um, but I definitely made it a point to to find it and find the highlights of it. Um, I'm pretty sure we were the same draft. I can't remember exactly if he's as old as me. He, I'm pretty sure we were. I'm pretty sure he was 2010 as well. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we've been at it the same time. I can't personally, I can't imagine being in the minor leagues for that long. Um, I got to hand it to Drew. He's always, but that's just him though. He's always been a grinder. Like even in, even in college, like he was the guy, he was, we, we talk about like the dirtiest uniform of the day. Like Drew's just always kind of been that type of guy, gritty, hard nosed. Um, and he's going to love baseball. He's going to play it until he can't anymore. Um, one of my biggest memories of him is, is he hit the world, he hit the home run to send us to the world series in 2010. Um, it was super regionals against, um, Arkansas. We had two outs, ninth inning. We were one strike away from going to Omaha. Um, our closer Jordan Swaggerty hung a slider to a guy named Brett Eibner. Um, and he hit it an absolute mile. I was literally about to hop over the railing and just had to come back and watch this ball fly over the fence at Packard. Um, and then we went to the 10th and Drew hit a just fence scraper right over the left center fence um, for a home run. And then we closed it out in the next inning. And that that's what sent it us, sent us to Omaha. So that was kind of my my best memory of at least playing with Drew. How about that? You you pitched in the College World Series. You pitched in the Korean Series. You pitched in the World Series. I don't think there's a lot of people walking on the planet who've done that, my friend. Yeah, I wouldn't guess so. There's not too many people, not too many Americans have played in Korea in general. So I would imagine that's a that's a small crowd if there's any. Might be a party of one, to be honest with you. Yeah, sometimes that's all right. Uh, this was great. I really appreciate the time. I know that you're, you know, even though it's spring training, you, you got a busy schedule, you got a young family at home. So believe me, it's not lost on me. I, I do appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Yeah, no worries, man. Anytime. Uh, and tell all those guys out there in Arizona, we say hello, and we'll catch up with you at some point during the regular season, all right? For sure. You just want me to just leave this myself? You can, just, you can leave it right there as I say goodbye, because I want to thank all my right. producer, the amazing Robbie Scirocco, <laughs> and for Merrill Kelly of the Arizona Diamondbacks. I'm Chris Rose. We'll see you next time on the Chris Rose Appreciate Rotations, it, a production of John Boy Media.